Welcome to Girl, Water Your Grass. talk about all the things to better yourself, your family, your career, your dreams, your goals, and your life, and how God's dreams over us are so much bigger than our own. We are just two girlfriends who grew up in the bluegrass state of Kentucky with five brothers each and have reunited to take our dreams to the next level. Now we're inviting you to get out of your own way, girlfriend, and come on this ride because on this journey of a lifetime, we never arrive. Welcome back to Girl Water Your Grass. We have a special episode for you up today. We are talking about why emotional processing, how it actually changes your life. And we have one of our favorite men with us, Maria and I have been so blessed, uh, Mr. Matt Engel, yes. and founder and president of Metanoia Catholic and virtual Catholic conferences and all those good things. You are we're blessed to hear his beautiful wife, Erin, last week. And Matt has so graciously agreed to come on this week and really share with us um, more about emotional processing and how life-changing it is as we're diving into this. So welcome to okay, Matt. No, thank you so much. I, I, I laugh at the irony of the girl, what are your grasp? Because when we're in goal setting right now, we're teaching that at our academy. And, and one of the things we teach is like, you always have to, like, if you're choosing the things you're going to be great at, you also want to be deliberate with the things you're going to suck at right now. Yes. And like, literally the thing I have chosen to suck at in my life is my lawn. It's terrible. It's a freaking <laughs> jungle. We got to get some lawn care going on. It's like, man, cut your grass. That's that's (laughs) And Matt is going to tell you how to do that today. (laughs) No, that's so funny. Oh, Oh, man. Well, we are just grateful to have you here and really want our listeners to know, like we've gotten into over the past week or two, like what is emotional processing? Because we know that 99% of us have never been taught how to process an emotion and why it's important. We typically stuff it, buffer it. You know, a lot of times we'll... When we're younger, I think we overindulge. Like everything's so dramatic. Like my life is ending. This boy that I've dated for a week broke up with me. And then as we get older, we tend to buffer and numb, right? And not that you can go both ways at every time in your life, but I know you've had the experience. Matt is a life coach and he's a phenomenal one, especially. Do you just work with men? No, I don't just work with men, but it just happens to be my clientele is mostly men. Mostly men. So anybody out there that is, is looking for a specifically Catholic coach, Matt and Aaron are awesome. Both of them. They both do it. Husband and wife, the power dream team. So anyhow, but what we really want to talk about today is really how you've seen lives change through taking people through emotional processing and just the power of how that actually changes your life. Sure. Well, I can tell you this, our, our emotions, I like to look at our emotions as a language. And for a lot of us, it's a foreign language. And uh, when I say a language, what do I mean? I mean that the, the, our emotions have something to tell us, always. They're coming from, we say at Metanoia Catholic that our emotional life comes from our thought life, right? And this is kind of standing on the shoulders of CBT and some of the life coach schools that we've gone to as well. But we know that behind every emotion, there is a thought, right? And this is even something that's in our catechism, right? That our passions stem from our interior life, our thought life. 
our, our Catholic catechism. And so when we talk about emotional processing, it's really coming to understand what is the word behind the emotion that I'm feeling and how do I feel those emotions, those honest emotions, because we have this tendency to avoid certain emotions, label them as bad and say that they're no good, meaning that we just don't necessarily want to experience those. Um, or they don't feel good to experience, but there's still something for us to learn when mm. we start to crack the code of this, of this foreign language for a lot of us in the emotional processing. Yeah. And Matt, what have you learned? Cause you have obviously part of being a good coach is we also do our own work. You know, we do our own internal and external work. And I know that you have had some really powerful experiences in your own life in actually going through the process yourself. Not only do you take clients through that, but you also do the internal work yourself. You and Aaron have a podcast and we've heard you guys talk very openly about it. And we've also been through, you know, some of your courses and know how huge and important that is. Would you share with our, with our audience, your experience yourself of what you have, you know, how it's been healing, what it's done for you very practically in life, the, the shift that it's made for you and the freedom it's brought ultimately. Mm-hmm. So it really was an evolution, I would say. Um, we always kind of like from the very beginning, from the schools that we went to, it was like, be very conscious of your thoughts and that the emotion part was a part, was an important part of it. We we're always looking in the context of goal setting, right? This is what a lot of the focus of life coaching schools are. Um, but as we started to really get more curious about our emotions and started to look at what St. Thomas Aquinas was teaching about the 11 passions, right? The 11 primary passions, really, it's another word for emotion. Uh, we started to see there was a lot more here, which, which meant that we started to choose to sit with those emotions a little bit more and discern those emotions and really get curious about um, what they were speaking to us. I remember Aaron uh, and I were getting ready to teach a course for our Purgative Way students. That's our, our coaching program we have at Metanoia Catholic. And uh, we were getting ready to do emotional processing. And Aaron was like, you know what, Matt, like, I what, it'd be great if we could just give them an example of doing emotional processing. So will you be the guy? <laughs> will you be the test dummy here to go through this? I was like, sure. No pressure. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. And so, and so we sat down, we hit record and, uh, and she started to say, it's like, okay, what's, what's something that's on your mind? And, you know, I, I work at VCC virtual Catholic conference. We send out emails all the time. They're going out to hundreds of thousands of people. And for me, I was experiencing this stress every time I was getting ready to send out an email. And I was like, okay, this is the emotion that's most dominant right now. So we started to go into that. And behind that emotion, eventually we found this thought and it was, don't screw it up don't screw it up. Mm. And Erin asked this question. She said, is there a memory that comes up when you think that thought, don't screw it up? Mm. And before I knew it, I was back in Afghanistan and I was at a very tragic day when um, I was leading a patrol and uh, my lead vehicle hit an IED mm. and my corpsman was killed. And, you know, it's, it's amazing. So all of a sudden we went from sending an email mm. to I'm now back in Afghanistan and there's this extremely traumatic event. Now I'd gone through a lot of healing at this point and, and a lot of my healing had come through the power of the Eucharist and prayer and, and people leading me through these guided imagery uh, sessions. And we had no idea it was going to go here, but here we were. 
And Aaron kind of took me through really a guided imagery prayer exercise where, where I entered back into that emotion and I allowed myself to like, just really feel it. And when you're in that emotion and this one, it was extreme sadness mm -hmm. that I was experiencing. It was a tremendous sadness. And now most of us don't, don't like to stay in sadness, right? Yeah. Or most of us don't like to stay in fear mm -hmm. or most of us don't like to stay in, 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 confusion well some of us like to say confusion but like those sadness ones <laughs> negative yeah um we just say it like it's we look at it as a useless emotion but what we've come to realize is that sadness always reveals a poverty mm -hmm. and when you look at it when you look at a poverty in light of the beatitude blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven we can start to see how when we start to identify that poverty and enter into it and don't try to fill it or avoid it or ignore it ourselves, but we actually invite Jesus into that poverty, into that place of pain. The only one who can fill it, he doesn't only fill up, not only does he fill it, he fulfills it. He brings it to a redemptive end. And so as we went through this emotion, I, I am now, I am just in tears going through this. And my wife is being very, very gentle with me. And, uh, and we asked the question, where's the Lord at in this moment? And, and I remember just the, the circumstances of my Corman's death. Uh, his name was Dustin. The circumstances of Dustin's death was just so chaotic. I mean, explosions, stuff going all over the place. We were treating other casualties at the same time. And I just remember that memory being nothing but chaos. But as we entered into that question, Jesus, where were you? Because we know that Jesus is always there. I will not leave you orphans, he says. And so when we bring the circumstance of scripture into the circumstance of that painful memory, it changes it. And when Jesus shows up, when Jesus enters into that circumstance, it changes it. And it changes it forever, forever. And I remember in this vision, seeing the Lord receiving Dustin. Wow. And it was, it was, it was bringing a, a morning to completion that I had not permitted to that point. And the reason I didn't permit it because I wasn't allowing that extreme sadness because I just wanted to dismiss it and say that it was there. now that sadness was surfacing itself in all kinds of ways. That sadness is just like, okay, it was, I hadn't properly mourned this. And so the tragedy, the trauma of, of that, of that death was overwhelming me. And so now it's like, I, I gotta, I gotta find ways to, to fix it. I couldn't fix it there. So I gotta fix everything else. I gotta, I, I can't screw it up again. That was my patrol. Yeah. And so that don't screw it up that rest there as that, uh, because I didn't process that emotion that starts manifesting itself in all kinds of disordered ways. And we don't know this. We just think this is life. We just think this is how it works. But the reality of it is that Jesus wants to come into that moment. So when we talk about emotional processing, what we're talking about is bringing Christ into those places of poverty that we want to avoid. And perhaps even in our human understanding, we think that they're no good. There's no purpose to it. But if we believe that there's a Christ that died and wants to, that has experienced every emotion, therefore every emotion is good. That means we can discover and we can find Christ in that place. And it's usually a place where we feel like we're in poverty and blessed are the poor in spirit folks. You want to enter into that place of poverty so that Jesus can fill you with the bread that truly satisfies. And that's what happened for me that day. 
And that's what we teach people in the metanoia Catholic way of processing an emotion. That's what we teach people to do is receive Jesus in that place of poverty. It changes everything. Everything. It really does. And I know you've witnessed it. We've witnessed it. Tell us a little bit about how much freedom there is in that and how now it shows itself up, you know, now down the road, months down the road after processing it, just about the freedom in it and how it shows itself now. Well, it's the freedom is, is being able to come back to those, to those memories or those things that trigger the, those, those memories and be able to remember where Jesus is. And that's so much of our Christian faith yeah. is remembering. You know, it's Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. It's not just think back to the past, but bring that memory here into the present, bring it to your present thoughts and have it transform and change you now. It's something that brings the past into the present moment. And so when you're bringing the past into the present moment and Jesus, you've brought Jesus into the past, he comes with it. He comes with that memory. And so now your memories are just enshrouded with this, this, this divine intimacy. Mm. Right. So it's places of poverty that prior to that you had been hiding from yourself and from other people. Now they're places of, of, of abundant intimacy, abundant love. Mm. And you get to share that with other people. Life changing. Mm-hmm. What about, so, you know, you teach people are learning how to do this for themselves. And at the same time, there is power and having a coach or having someone walk with you through that process. Would you speak a little bit to uh, just the gift of walking through it with someone and having someone guide you through that? Sure, sure. So what we're really looking at here when you have a coach or going through, it's, it's, it's helping the person to encounter Jesus's divine mercy. Mm. Okay. So what do I mean by that? If we look at the, the word, I believe it's, I don't see the Latin or Greek. I always get it mixed up, but it's a misericordia where they get the word mercy from. And literally the translation means a heart that gives itself to those in misery. And so if you're going to have a heart that gives itself to those in misery, you have to enter into that misery with them. And so as a coach, it's a real privilege to be able to, with the person's permission, enter into that place of misery with them. Mm-hmm. and really be a conduit of Jesus's mercy there, right? And you can only do it as a coach. You can only do it to the extent that you've received Christ's mercy first, right? We're not the ones that love first. It's Christ, it's God who loved us first. And so to the extent that we've received Jesus into those places mm-hmm. uh, that we feel most unloved, that we feel most hated or uh, most ashamed, and we now experience no longer a place of shame, but a place of divine intimacy in that we get to invite other people into that and witness to other people the possibility of them experiencing that divine intimacy too. And so you're really operating in in a small way in persona Christe, when you as the coach are able to enter into that place with that person and be that incarnate person. That's like taking this love and making incarnate and being able to say, it's okay. I love you. I'm not running away. I'll rest. I'm not going to, I'm not here to fix this either. Mm -hmm. I'm just here to abide with you Mm -hmm. in this place because that's what Jesus does. And that's what, that's the thing that changes it is when Christ comes and abides in that place, he's there. Mm -hmm. That's what changes it. So good. Does that make sense? Yes. And I think, you know, something I've witnessed is we don't necessarily, it's, it's like whenever I go out for a jog with someone, 
I'm going to push myself a little harder, a little farther. Right. And so that person being there with you also is that accountability to, to really hold that space for you to come into a deeper place that you may resist and push back from on your own. And you're, you get to the fire and you want to run backwards and they say, no, come on, baby, let's go. We're going to go through through the other side. You see you're on, you're on the zoom calls with them. And as you're kind of going to other places, you see their eyes are coming. They're looking at you. They're looking at you and they're looking at you saying, it's like, is this okay? Is this what you're looking for? Is this the right way to go? And that's where you're stepping in as a guide saying, I have been there before, not in your same circumstances, but I've been there in my, because we all have, we all have our places of deep pain in our lives. Some people much more than others. Okay. But we all, every single one of us has a place of deep pain, whether it's a loss of a parent or the loss of a child or a loss of a friend, or, you know, the, the loss of a job or some sort of poverty, some place of shame. Mm, And you get to abide. Yeah. 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 And tell us a little bit how this is not therapy. Can you explain the difference between we are not therapists, nor are we planning (laughs) to be or trying to be? Yeah. yeah. So, so this is something where we're, it's, it's a therapeutic technique Mm -hmm. by all means. Yeah. By all means, it's a therapeutic technique, but just because you're feeling difficult emotions doesn't mean that you're mentally ill. And this is really the distinction. It really goes back to the distinction. What's, what's the difference between coaching? What's the difference between like a clinical or therapy uh, counseling? Right. Right. And so first of all, it's ones that we talk about this on our website, we get this question a lot. You know, it's not a medical coaching is not a medical model. It's not, it's not diagnostic. Uh, diagnostic. We're not diagnosing people with particular illnesses, right? We're not prescribing medications. We are not covered by insurance, right? Um, But we are coaching really does its best work when it's living. It's it's working not with people that are mentally ill. And this is really my distinction. When you're working with somebody that's mentally ill, it's proper to have the care of them to be under the care of a licensed physician. Right, we right. need to refer that out. Yes. Need to refer that out, or they need to be working alongside somebody. But yeah. there are plenty of people feeling challenging emotions that emotions that need to be processed that are well, they're at baseline or buff, right? right? And this is where the coaches play, right? So mm-hmm. um, that's that's the main distinction. And you'll know when you get to that place if you encounter a place where somebody is needs to see a therapist when they're really stuck right? Yeah. When they, they are stuck in a constant emotion, it's really sticky. What that means is that they don't have the ability themselves to process through it. All right. So that's where they may need some medication to process through to help set the conditions, or they may need some more intensive treatment under the guide of a, of a physician at that point to process through it. But not everybody's there. There's right. plenty of people that are above baseline <laughs> and they still need help too. Yes. We all need help, right? <laughs> we do. Yeah. No, I appreciate so you just doing that distinction. So good. I mean, we have all, all three of us have been blessed to really see how emotional processing has literally changed lives. And we just want to encourage you and invite you to enter into this, to learn about it, to come to our workshop this coming Tuesday, August the 24th, 2021 <laughs> at 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern time and just walk through this with us. So we're just grateful for you being here, Matt, and just explaining a little bit more about what that is. Yeah, I'm so excited to see you guys up on this platform that you've got and just like taking this and and going out and spreading the word on it because the harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few and people need to receive this truth. They need to know it. They need to know who they are. Uh, but let's let's go into this because we were talking a little bit about outside of the recording, and we want to bring this back into here, is this idea of, number one, 
the differences, but you know, is there a difference in the way that men and women process emotions? And then also talking a little bit about, you know, the differences with internal, external processing and, um, and the way that we can relate to one another and just different aspects of that. I would love for us to kind of dive in to that. So is there, have you noticed a difference in the way that men and women process emotions? Um, none that I could really speak to too much. I, I think they're very similar. I think there's different societal norms and stereotypes that are out there in terms of how men and women process emotions, but rarely do I find a, a man that is not emotional, right? Like it's mm -hmm. hard, or a person that's not emotional, right? They yeah. may not, may not be, they may have a lot of, of uh, layered emotions on top, or they may be, you know, uh, avoiding certain emotions, but I think we all do that. Right. And I think there's a time and a place for us to kind of like, even put a little bit of distance, even if we, it, but it's good to be like cognizant and know when we're putting a little bit of, a little bit of a buffer between ourselves and an emotion, right. There, there might be a time and a place where it's just like, okay, I can't just break down and start crying right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm in the middle of a gunfight. Like that was something when we were in Marines right. is a very practical thing. Yes. So it's like, we have to kind of, there's time and a place to kind of go through this exercise. Um, but we want to create that space. I think it's important for us to create that space because the reality is we're, we're, we're born into a world at war. Um, and this is kind of where I'm bringing in a little bit of the spiritual warfare context of, you know, what we understand and live as, as Christians in the case of Catholic Christians uh, is that there's a spiritual battle that's taking place. And all, that battle is taking place primarily in the mind, right? And we know that what comes into the mind is going to impact, directly impact our emotional life. And rarely do we come, do we identify the thoughts behind the interior turmoil that we're going through at any given moment. We just feel the turmoil first. It's like, ah, I'm here. Like I'm feeling this overwhelm, I'm feeling this anger, I'm feeling this sadness. But then when we create a little bit of space and slow that down. Right. And just get a little bit of a little curious about that emotion. That's when we're talking about emotional processing. That's a big part of it. It starts off with just getting curious about the emotions um, and, and teaching people the language, how to how to interpret the, the language, translate the language behind their emotions. It's so good. And let's talk a little bit about how we are different. All of us process emotions different. And primarily we see external processing versus internal processing and how we can really create space for those differences. Um, such as my husband is an internal processor. And as you know, from coaching me, I'm very <laughs> external, right? So just talk to us a little bit about that and how we can be patient with each other and really respect those differences to where we don't get frustrated with each other. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's always uh, good to be conscious of, of letting the other person's uh, space be their space and the way that they do it be the way that they do it and, and not have those judgments. And, and whenever there's some sort of a judgment that we're having about how somebody should be doing something else, there's a should that we have, it's, it's usually reflected back on some, some something that we're either, um, either denying in ourselves or resentful in towards ourselves or uh, not receiving uh, from our, ourselves. Um, so yeah, creating that space is often like, what does that look like? I think that's a good question for it. Mm -hmm. is really just saying, Hey, I, I would like to understand what's going on. Like in this case with you and will, right. He's an internal processor. It might just be like, Hey, I would like to come back to you at some point when you're ready and, and, uh, and enter into this. But also for me, um, will, are you willing to be that person that I can kind of externally process with and kind of walk towards it? And, and when you do that though, if you're looking for a partner to really be an external processor, processor with, you're looking for somebody that can really hold the space with, for you, 
right? Because you want somebody to mirror back what's going on, not just compound what's going on and jump, we call it jump in the pool with you. Because that just gets messy, right? And and before you know, it's just like, well, I'm mad because she said this. And my girlfriend's like, oh yeah, she's terrible. She's awful. Like, and, that, and you're just like, it's compounding. I mean, really. Yeah. <laughs> but you're not really like getting to the, okay, you're having an emotional response right now because of a thought, like, let's get into what that thought is. And, and being, when we say that you're having it because of a thought, it means that it's something that you have chosen, right? Yeah. It's not just like, that's a thought. Like it's, you can keep that thought yeah. or you can change that thought. You can choose a different thought. It's not a fact. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. And so you don't necessarily have to be losing your mind like you are. Right. right. And I think with the internal processors, it's important. I always will tell Will, and we've worked a lot on this through the work we've done uh, with you all is that, you know, I'm like, I'm just processing this. I just need you to listen. And, and, and he's really good about mirroring back, but I have to really challenge him as you're internally processing this. I do want us to talk about it because a lot of times internal processors will take it and then they'll just never bring it back up again. And then we end up finding mm-hmm. something that is the straw that breaks the camel's back, if you will, because they never have really processed that. Right. And I think, right. And look, go ahead. Go ahead. Like, yeah. And I think one of the things with that is creating the space for that person though, because I found a lot of people, if they are more external processors, they don't understand the internal process for, for internal processors and it becomes that, and they get frustrated. And as someone who's an internal processor and have had people get frustrated with me because I don't process how they do, it actually makes you shut down. Cause you're like, well, wait a second. Like you're not, you're not, you're not safe now. Cause you're not creating that space. Cause I'm not doing it how you do it. Right. Getting into the shoulds or the manual versus like, okay. But kind of saying, Hey, I would like to hear about this later you know, get, can we take, you know, take the time that you need and then can we, can we come back and can you share? Right. So it's always creating that space of freedom for the other person. Mm-hmm. And so it's respecting their freedom, but it's also allowing them to walk through it internally, how they need to, because the way I describe it as an internal processor is I do, don't have words. So you're asking me to do something that literally is not possible for me. Like those words are not there. There's like images almost. So there's like, there's thoughts and there's like images and things, but there's not a way to vocalize that until later. And so it's almost, it can be asking someone to do something that at that moment they can't do. And it can be very frustrating for them if they can't, you know? And so I think holding that space is so important and to be able to communicate, Hey, later, can we talk about that? But understanding that it's okay, that it's different, that the way that this person processes it is this way, the way that this person needs to is different. Yeah. And I think that that really speaks everything you just said there, Maria, really speaks to the way that the brain works, right? Yeah. When, when we're kind of stuck in these emotions, I almost look at it as like a kind of a mini trauma, right? And, and when, when you look at the extreme end of like an extremely traumatic events, PTSD inducing, there's actually a, a, a systematic shutdown of the brain, right? Yes. There is a separation between the narrative elements of your, of your mind and, and the, 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 images, the pictures that you have. And so Mm -hmm. you're often stuck with these images, these pictures that have no context of past, present, or future. There's no narrative that goes along with it. And so part of bringing that emotional experience or bringing that trauma to completion in this case, or in this case, like a really even, you know, call it a mini trauma, right? A small T trauma. Because again, I don't want to cross over into the areas of, of, uh, of, of of therapy in this case. Um, there's, there's 
the, the per, bringing that to completion means that I can actually now put words to the images that we have. So when we do emotional processing, a lot of the time we're using guided imagery to get there because people don't necessarily have the words, right? Mm -hmm. And so we'll do things like, okay, put some context in the emotion and what's the color of it and, you know, make it something, bring it from the abstract into something that's tangible. So there's a little bit of nice separation. This is something, it's a necessary step for emotional processing is creating a little bit of distance. We might do like the exercise of, okay, like you're entering into this chamber and that chamber is the set. And it could sound like kind of cheesy. I almost got to laugh at myself. We're we're entering the sadness room, right? Like there's a knock at the door of the sadness room. And like, you can't, you can run to the anger room, which is adjacent to it, but you can't answer the door in the sadness room when you're sitting in the anger room. So we got to go enter into that and just even guiding people through the imagery and you start to give them a language now mm-hmm. to narrate the story of this wordless emotion yeah. that's, uh, that they're experiencing. And th- there's something that's very helpful in the processing uh, of that emotion at that point, when you can start to put some words, put some context to it. I love how you said the anger room and the sadness room, and it takes me back to layering emotions. And we, we referenced that before, but just explain to our listeners a little bit about what are layered emotions and how typically with anger, there's, it's always layered and a yeah. lot of emotions do become layered. Yeah. Well, I, I love the example of, of like, say you, okay. So you're, you're a parent, you're walking down the street, uh, you're walking along a busy street with your kid and all of a sudden your kid's hand slips out from yours and they go darting towards the traffic. Right. Well, in that moment, the first thing you fear is a feel is fear, right? I don't want something in the thought. It was like, Oh, I, my son's going to get hurt. My daughter's going to get hurt. But as soon as you grab their arm and you pull them back over, what do you feel in that moment? If you're like me, you're feeling angry. You go, what are you doing? What are you doing? What were you thinking? What you were weren't you thinking? thinking. This happened to me, like literally happened to me three weeks ago where Avila, we were walking down the street and she was pushing her little stroller and a big truck was coming up behind us and she got confused. She just heard it coming up behind her and she darted into the road thinking it was like going to keep her safe. And I was able to grab her and pull her out of the way of the speeding truck. And that was the first thing I said, what are you doing? Before you know it, she just started to just cry, right? Cry. And, and then I, and then it was just like one of those tender moments. Um, but, uh, but I, I was very conscious of it. It was just like, okay, the fear serves a purpose for, Mm -hmm. for a period, but then also we don't want to stay in that place of fear because it's all, it's a very powerless place. Right. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that fear is serving a purpose. Sometimes, sometimes it's calling our attention to a problem that needs to be addressed. Right. Mm -hmm. And if we're not allowing ourselves to enter into that place of fear, then we're not becoming aware of this problem and we're not addressing it. And it actually becomes a big problem for us at that point. And so the layered emotions we usually find is, is when they're on top of these emotions where perhaps it's feeling like a victim, right? Perhaps Mm -hmm. it's, and then we go into the blame uh, uh, game at that point, which is really customary of a a victim. Uh, If they're feeling sadness, right? They might go to anger uh, or uh, if they're feeling um, uh, bored, uh, they could go to like a, a more of a busyness that's there. I'm kind of running out of examples here. Usually we find that sadness and, and, um, and that sorrow are at the core, like, kind of, or, or hurt. That's one that hurt. pops up. Mm-hmm. Hurt is a little different from sadness, but it's one of those 
honest ones that I love helping people process through hurt because first of all, it identifies if the hurt is real or if it's something that they are creating with their thoughts, right? And if it's real, we want to process that hurt because if there's been a real violation of our dignity, when we come to recognize that that has happened, it's actually become something that's very affirming towards our dignity. When we can recognize that our dignity is actually, which is something objectively that we have, or like our goodness as human beings has been harmed when we can recognize that. Mm-hmm. Um, not only does it say that, okay, the reason I'm feeling this hurt is because this person did this and therefore I was never meant to experience this. It starts to reveal something about what it means for the person to thrive and what it means to harm thriving, right? But it also sets us up for the powerful uh, exercise of forgiveness as well, you know, when you start to process Mm -hmm. that hurt. That is one of my favorite things, um, which we'll be taking our people through on Tuesday is, you know, I always incorporate a forgiveness aspect in the Mm -hmm. process of emotional processing, because it's amazing how much that forgiveness piece plays in setting us free. You know, that forgiveness is such, brings out such a space of freedom. And I think a lot of times we don't, we don't even know the ways that we or maybe not forgiving someone, whether it's ourself or even our God, or even, you know, there's, there can be a way where we keep ourselves stuck, not only in emotion, but then also in unforgiveness. Would you just touch on the power of forgiveness and why that is so important from a freedom space? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I love, I always go back to just this, these te- this teaching of Aquinas, the human person will always do what they perceive to be in their greatest goodness. A key word there is perceive, right? So why do I share this, that people always do what they believe to be in keeping with their greatest good? Well, we know that it's not cognitively and through divine revelation, we know it's not in keeping with their greatest good to hold on to unforgiveness, right? I mean, that's, that's like Christ tells us in the scriptures, like, hey, if you're bringing your gift to the altar and you've got unforgiveness in your heart, like leave your gift at the altar and go and make peace with your brother and then come back and offer your petitions and offer a gift to God. And so we, we know that cognitively that forgiveness is something that the Lord demands of us for our own good out of love. So for holding on to unforgiveness and we always do what we believe to be in keeping with our greatest good, then there's a perception. There's a thought that's there that holding on to this unforgiveness is serving me in some way. And so that's one of the questions I always like to ask when somebody's stuck in that place of unforgiveness is how is this serving you? Mm-hmm. And this is usually where we find the lies because oftentimes it's something along the lines of, well, I think I'm holding this person accountable by not forgiving them. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. if I don't forgive them, then they're going to get away. They're going to get away with it. Right. Yeah. But the reality is when we kind of take that unforgiveness and we process it through that model, we see the trajectory of that thought, of that emotion, and the actions that, that we perform from it, they're not virtuous actions. The harm is actually our, on ourselves Yourself, and then right. on our loved ones also. Like we end up becoming the people that need to be begging for forgiveness at that point. It's a rule. That's how it happens. It's always how it happens. It's always how it is going to happen. Your unforgiveness will always cause harm to you and to other people. It's by law. The same as gravity. It's by law. And God, so if true. we act so on our soul, right? Yeah, <laughs> very much so. Away at us. 
But we, but we also can't just say, all right, well, then I'm going to forget. If we still have this belief that it's serving us some way and we haven't dealt with it, if we haven't exposed it for the lie that it is, then we'll continue to believe that it's true, right? We have to learn to hate that reason that we have assented to, that false reason to hold on to our unforgiveness. And that's an important part of it. So, but that allows us also to enter into that, that place of, of the hurt and stay in the hurt room versus the anger room there, right? Because mm-hmm. the anger room is like where a lot of that unforgiveness is there and oftentimes it's on top of it, right? But when you enter into that hurt, you know, and find the, encounter the Lord there, I mean, folks, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just beautiful. It's amazing. Life-changing. We are yeah. talking about life-changing stuff here, people. It is. Yeah, this is soul work. This is gym membership for your soul. That's right. It is internal and if you want the ex- the external, it doesn't matter nearly as much as the internal because we can't pour out what's inside of our what's not inside of our heart. It has to be in here before we can really the interior and exterior. God made us body, mind, and soul, people. We have to take care of all of it. So you can think you're taking care of your body and you're taking care of the most important, but I'll, you know we always say the body, mind, and soul. I flipped it to say it really should be soul, mind, and body, right? If we want to talk about the order of importance, we have to take care of our soul first and then our minds and then our bodies. And they're are all connected. So yeah, it's, just- well, it's, it's, yeah, it's like, it's impossible to take care of one without taking care of the other. I mean, like, you know, l- lest we fall into some sort of dualistic, you know, understanding or like there's just, we're, we're just the ghost in the machine. We're just some sort of, mm-hmm. you know, soul that has a body. It's just like, no, like we are this integrated incarnate spirit, like intertwined it's amazing. Right. And it's like this, to separate it is a, such a, a violation of our dignity, wow. uh, which is really what, frankly, a lot of the psychological sciences have done. Right. And we're living in the, we're living in this post Descartes. I think therefore I am kind of, I have a spirit and I have a body and my body is just a thing. It's a tool. It's just, it's being reduced down to something material, mm-hmm. uh, separate from our dignity. I mean, it's dangerous. Like we, yeah. I mean, we're, we're living in, we're living in a society that is, you, you look at the repercussions, listening to Christopher West, he was talking about this where it's like, we're, we're, we're following this to its natural end with the mutilation that people are doing to their bodies, yeah, right? It is. It's the harm really that they're doing to their bodies, the rejection of our bodies, mm-hmm. right. As a society. Really a scary mm-hmm. stuff. So we got to be ordered properly and process those emotions. So we don't get to that point of mutilating ourselves. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So no, this is so good. And again, we're just so grateful for you being here and we learned so much from you and are so grateful our listeners can learn from you. Matt is just schooled and educated on all the things and um, gosh, it's just, a, it's just a gift. So thank you for being here and for teaching us so much. Yeah. And we just encourage everyone to come to our emotional processing workshop. The link is in our um it's in our bio on Instagram and on Facebook. We'll have all that up. And I'll also in the show, show notes as well. Yeah. So you can right. still register. Yeah. There's still do time. it. Men do it too. Like yes. bring your, I know, I know that you got like a primarily female audience, but like ladies, just put it on the car with your, with your spouses or with your boyfriends or ah. fiancés, and just like, like this is something and, or, or, and be the change that you want them to see. Right. Like yes. people all the time, they're just like, how do I get my boyfriend to come to this stuff? Yeah. And it's just like, Oh, like, just be transformed. And so many husbands come in. They're just like, my wife is just changed. I, I want to understand. I want some of it too. Like mm. that's the greatest witness is to allow yourself to be transformed by this. You will be greatest serving you've ever preached is the life you live. We say yes. it all the time. So yes. true. And we love men. We welcome all the men. Maria and I, 
We grew up with all five <laughs> brothers each, right? So bring it's on the I'm sorry, are guys allowed to this? Maybe I, <laughs> I spoke out yeah, of turn. It's had, not my yeah, event. <laughs> we've had quite a few guys reach out and say, hey, are we allowed? And we're like, 100% yes. And then I started having some wives and girlfriends reach out. Can our husbands, our boyfriend? And we're like, absolutely. Because, you know, emotional processing is for everybody and anybody and all ages, really. You know, it's it's meant to be for everybody. So we're humans. So, we're for yeah. humans. Yeah. Anyone yep, that yep. experiences emotion needs to learn and it how it takes to courage. It takes <laughs> fortitude here, folks. This is, this is courage. This is the real spiritual battle. And I remember something I can kind of like leave with this in terms of courage. I, I was in two different deployments. One was a combat, one was a non-combat deployment. And I saw, I saw men doing valorous acts um, in the combat environment. And then we went to Patia beach, Thailand, which is, Really, uh, you want to talk about a place of human trafficking after us. So I watched some of those same men walk into the broth- brothels because they didn't recognize the real battle that was there. And this interior soul work, folks, this is the real battle. This is the real battle. It's not to take anything away from the other battles that are being fought in war, but this is the one that matters the most. And it will demand the most fortitude, the mo- most courage from you. This is the greatest battle you have to fight. And if you don't learn the tactics, you don't learn how to enter into this, you're going to be a casualty. This from a military man, he knows. <laughs> My military lingo coming out. All right. Yep. I love it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again so much, Matt. We appreciate you and all that you and sweet Aaron are doing. You guys are just amazing. Gold. Yeah. Sheer gold. And so to our listeners, you know, again, go follow them, check out their stuff and we'll put all that in there. Make sure you like, follow, like. subscribe, all the things. Share, download. <laughs> and we'll and see you next week with the testimonials from Worldwide Regret. <laughs>